Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Soccer Talk Podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. In episode 93, we discuss which networks do the best job at promoting the soccer coverage they have. MLS and Liga Mackies talk about conquering North America. Which Premier League game got more than 1 million viewers last week? And we have a bunch of letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnayar. Kartik, we're recording this on Thursday, uh, before all of the games in the international break. Uh, Hopefully some of these games will be exciting. Hopefully some of these games will be pulling in viewers and getting us really pumped up about whichever country we support, whether it's uh, the United States, England, (coughs) etc., uh, any thoughts before we go into into the international break? Uh, kind of what you're anticipating. Yeah, one of the um, clunky aspects of this UEFA Nations League format, Chris, is that the, you, you, in England's case, they're playing uh, they're playing Spain again, and in uh, Germany's case or France's case, they're playing each other again. So it also, I think, minimizes the importance or, or, or the relevance of the first time they play, uh, and. We're, in a, we're coming off a World Cup. I think a lot of people don't understand the UEFA Nations League format. They don't understand the relevance of these matches. We're told this is a new competition. They're competitive matches. But it's not Euro qualifying. It's not, it's not qualifying for Euro 2020, although there is a way to qualify for Euro 2020 through the Nations League. But we're not really – most of us aren't sure what that specifically is. Um, so, no, I don't think anyone's – that bothered by it, anyone I talked to. And then on the U.S. end, it's friendlies. On the end of South American countries, it's friendlies. Although, of course, South American countries have Copa America in um, next summer mm-hmm. to, to, to focus on. So I think the one thing we might see, Chris, is in the November international break, some South American countries take their friendlies more seriously, and then March will take it very seriously going into a Copa. But otherwise... Um, and we'll have some uh, Euro 2020 qualifying in March. Otherwise, I think it's a it's a barren year for international football. I just don't think people care. And uh, the timing of the breaks, uh, as we hear every single year, going back to 2006, I remember that's when people started first started really complaining about international breaks after the World Cup in 2006, when uh, the 06-07 season kept getting broken up in Europe. Um, 
you're hearing more complaints than interest in these matches. So for the this past week, this might be actually the shortest uh, what we've been watching uh, segment ever, Kartik. For me personally, um, both of my, well, two of my daughters were playing in a soccer tournament in West Pines. So I was down there for Saturday for about 15 hours and then Sunday for about 12 hours. And of course, uh, both of my girls are in different age groups. So the games were kind of spread out, not at the same time. Uh, one of my daughters went on to win, win the final, which was great. But it was a long weekend away from the television set, uh, away from your cell phone to be able to watch uh, any of the, the games. And I don't really like watching games on cell phones anyway, just because it, it, you, you lose so much. But yeah. for me, I, so the only games I watched from this past week, I watched on Friday, I watched the Brighton against West Ham game in the Premier League, which was a really dull game, but a good win for Brighton, 1-0. And then Sunday morning, I did catch a little bit of the actually last 10 or 15 minutes of Fulham against Arsenal, which was the perfect time to join the game. That was uh, a really entertaining last 10 minutes of the game where Fulham fell apart and Arsenal just completely demolished them. And Aaron Ramsey, what a goal. I mean, Arsenal looking really, really positive, uh, playing some fantastic football, just great skillful goal. And uh, they seem to be on fire. The, kind of that, uh, that burning passion is back with the Gunners, which is great to see. Kartik, what about you? What, what did you catch from this past week? Yeah, I, I watched only three matches, and they were on three different networks. So I saw Torino for Sinone at the same time as you were watching Brighton West Ham. Watched that on ESPN+. Plus. That was a very entertaining game. I, I think for whatever reason, I, I watched so little football this, this weekend, but all of the football I watched were these, these thrilling end-to-end high-scoring matches. So that was a very open match. Um, next morning, I had intended to start with Dortmund, Augsburg, and then switch to the Premier League. Um, this is the one advantage the Bundesliga and Fox have of start kicking off a half an hour earlier than the Premier League at, when there's no lead-in Premier League morning game, as there wasn't on Saturday for whatever scheduling quirk. Um, that match was just so entertaining. I stuck with it the whole time. It was uh, an incredible match. Uh, again, I don't know that the, the level of defending was very high, and we see this often in the Bundesliga these days, and that's actually even spilled over into the German national team, as we saw this summer, uh, as their defending was very poor. And, and uh, Japan, who has the bulk of their players in, in Bundesliga, how poor their defending was uh, when it really mattered in, in the knockout stages. But w- what an exciting match. And uh, Dortmund came from behind, to win, uh, Jaden Sancho, the young English international, again, uh, and I can call him an English international now, now that he's gotten called up by Garrett Southgate. Yep. Again, just uh, cutting edge, fantastic. As a Man City supporter, it makes me um, makes me unhappy that we sold him at 18, but as someone who wants to see England do well and wants to see English internationals play outside the Premier League, it makes me very happy that he went to a big club on the continent at a young age and, and is developing accordingly. Uh, it, it just a, a fantastic finish there. Uh, then uh, turned to NBC for the Mourinho Circus pre-match, uh, Manchester United, uh, Newcastle. And we could spend the entire show talking about uh, the coverage of Mourinho this weekend on various networks. I think it was appropriate um, in, in how NBC handled it and how they talked about it, how the ESPN FC program has talked about it all week. Uh, then, for some miraculous reason, Manchester United rallied and won this match. Um, a quick note, Chris, I think it's um, it's disappointing both days. NBC, this is something we're going to have to address more because it seems to be happening more and more. 
NBC chose to preempt their, um, not chose, I mean, they had other events starting right as soon as uh, Premier League ended, but did not show Goal Zone mm-hmm. on uh, a linear channel, and it was on NBCSports.com. It's happening more often this season, I think. I, I don't have empirical data. Maybe if we went back and counted, we would see it's, something different. It seems that way. It yeah. seems that way just from kind of, yeah, from me looking at it too. Um, so that, to me, that's uh, that's an overriding concern going forward. But um, uh, maybe uh, maybe as we get into the to the bulk of the season, uh, past all these international breaks and towards uh, Boxing Day and, and New Year's and, and, and the important fixtures in December, we won't have that problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it might be maybe NBC picking up more rights to other. Well, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not the because ex- for the, all the other programming, I never watch it, so I don't watch the golf. I mean, I, I know you do. I don't watch the rugby. Or the NASCAR, or Formula One, or whatever else they have. Yeah, and it was Formula One, I believe, or NASCAR, one of those two, and rugby this weekend. And I don't watch any of that stuff, so I wasn't, I, I wasn't familiar with. It. Again, as you say, I, I said I watch golf. Golf is over now after the Ryder Cup. I don't think they have any more golf until uh, the start of uh, next season. Although uh, the 2019 PGA Tour season is going to be configured differently for the, for listeners out there, so there will be very little preemption or uh, issues with um, uh, golf next season bleeding to the Premier League. The golf season is going to end at the end of August. Currently, it ends at the end of September. So we've had this issue where the week of the Tour Championship every year, uh, NBC's 12.30 Eastern Time kickoff uh, ends up on uh, NBCSN. Now, uh, last year, that was Chelsea-Manchester City. This year, it was Chelsea-Liverpool, were two of the biggest matches of their respective seasons. Next season, Chris, because of the PGA Tour uh, schedule being shifted uh, permanently for television purposes uh, and the season ending at the end of August, uh, we will not have that problem again. So that's uh, that's a positive. Although, actually, no, now that I think about the Chelsea-Liverpool this year was uh, because of the Ryder Cup. And that's uh, an ongoing concern every second year. But uh, there will be less conflict with golf. Uh, well, less conflict with golf at the start of the Premier League season. There actually might be more at the end of the Premier League season. But that's uh, we'll figure that out in May uh, going forward. But these other sports, I'm not sure. Maybe they've picked up more rights. So before we get to some of the news and uh, to get your thoughts, Kartik, as well as my thoughts on the proposed uh, or discussed Liga Mekis and Major League Soccer partnering up even closer and tighter and what that means for uh, TV rights, etc. Let's talk about uh, one of our sponsors, and that's uh, SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats that you want for the price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like there, uh, being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theatre. And I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets during the last few months. I actually used it this summer to look for tickets for the International Champions Cup games uh, that were in Miami for my family, and it's really easy to use. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app 
and enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's promo code WSTPOD, one word, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, Kartik, uh, we teased it a minute ago, but some very interesting and very uh, big news uh, potentially coming out of North America. Yeah, so um, at the leaders' conference that was being held at Sanford Bridge, uh, the president of Liga and Mekis, Chris, uh, uh, discussed the possibility and very aggressively discussed the possibility. It wasn't just something that came up in passing as response to a question. Uh, uh, the possibility of a joint North American Football League, a top flight North American Football League that essentially would be a super league, right? You would assume um, between the Canada, Mexico, and the United States, really kind of an MLS Liga and Mekis merger. You'd also have to assume it's probably a closed league. Uh, yeah. Details are very, you know, obviously very sketchy and, and tentative. It's just been thrown out uh, on Wednesday uh, out there publicly. But there has been such close collaboration through the years between the Mexican Federation and the U.S. Federation, as well as between Liga and Mekis and Major League Soccer, with Major League Soccer's marketing arm that we talked about repeatedly on this show, Soccer United Marketing, uh, essentially being, the, I think, the tie that, uh, uh, the, the, the bow that ties all of this stuff together, all, all four of those entities, that um, maybe this was inevitable. When they, when they launched a joint bid to host the World Cup, this was going to be the in- inevitable outcome. I think, from my perspective, I'm still processing the viability of this, if it could actually happen, and what FIFA would say. But FIFA has historically, Chris, turned a blind eye to anything the United States wanted to do that's in violation of their statutes. So they might turn a blind eye to this and then tell Scotland, if Scotland, uh, Norway, Denmark, uh, the Netherlands, we've heard rumors of Scotland and Portugal maybe having a Super League, uh, the Atlantic League, I think as they were referring to it as a few years ago, might say, no, you can't do that. Uh, I, and that's, that's the question. Would FIFA actually put their foot down in this case? I think privately, Kartik, you and I have talked about uh, the whole 2026 World Cup. And while we're looking forward to it, what it does provide U.S. soccer is carte blanche. So they can practically do anything they want between now and 2026 World Cup because FIFA is probably not going to step in and, and, you mean. They might smack him on the wrist a little bit, but they're not going to. They're not going to get too involved because I mean, so much of this uh, 2026 World Cup is riding on the billions of money that uh, can it can generate uh, for FIFA. Really, at the end of the day, and through high ticket prices, and we've talked about that. I mean, I think the average ticket price for 2026 World Cup is going to be four hundred and thirty dollars. So it's us fans, the the soccer fans in the United States, are going to be paying for that for the most part. But with this narcotic. Um, it's interesting because that carte blanche provides the opportunity for U.S. soccer uh, and Major League Soccer to say, okay, let's partner with Liga Mackies. And if you can't beat them, join them. You mean, I, I, MLS, we know in terms of you mean, on the field uh, and off the field are uh, not as strong as, Major League, uh, as uh, Liga Max. On the other hand, Liga Max is probably looking at, I'm sure they're looking at the United States thinking, okay, it's an untapped market. We've got tons of Mexican fans or Mexican-American fans that are watching Club America and Tigres and, and uh, uh, Chivas, etc. But there's an opportunity here for uh, Liga Max to really grow, grow their footprint. And really, the, the, more, more so the clubs themselves. The clubs are probably looking at this going thinking, okay, we can really 
increase the revenues um, and vice versa. Major League Soccer looking at this, thinking, okay, well, if we can compete against Liga Max, maybe we can win win over some of the the bilinguals and the the growing Hispanic markets and and get them into supporting their local MLS club. At the end of the day, though, Kartik, from a, a TV rights perspective, I mean, the current deal that's in place with uh, ESPN, Fox, and Univision in the U.S. for Major League Soccer, I believe, expires in 2022, which gives probably the bidding and probably the process of starting that up is probably going to start in probably 2020, which uh, will be here before you know it. So I wonder if that's part of the equation too, Kartik, if there's an opportunity there for Liga, Liga Max where the rights – the way the rights are set up, it's on a club-by-club basis. But maybe there's a kind of a, kind of a Liga Max and Major League Soccer having the discussions now, trying to figure out a way to work closely together um, so that in 2022, when Major League Soccer announces the, the huge new TV deal, it's Liga Max plus Major League Soccer instead, instead of just Major League Soccer. Yeah, I, I think... This is a big consideration, Chris, is that uh, Liga Emekis wants to um, increase their uh, their television profile in um, the United States. Right. They want to uh, they they want to put themselves on English language television. They're already from a pure numbers and ratings perspective, the, the most watched uh, club football league uh, in, the, in the United States, although um, advertisers and sponsors will come back and tell you, well, we like the demographics of the Premier League viewership audience with a La Liga viewership audience better than we like the, the Liga and Mekis ones. So that's why we're going to sponsor the broadcast on NBC rather than on, on Univision, uh, etc. So that, I think, allows them to kind of bridge into uh, what many advertisers and sponsors, and again, they might view this differently eight years from now than they do now, but they view the, the, the viewership for Liga uh, MX as a very niche, uh, very kind of specific Mexican-American audience that is in cities like Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, Phoenix, Houston, Dallas, etc. Um, now, this will diversify the portfolio of people watching Mexican club football in the United States, which I think they want. And then, two, they want sponsorship revenue. They, they, they're... I think there's a real concern among um, which they don't articulate publicly until now among Mexican football executives and U.S. football executives, uh, U.S. soccer uh, and major league soccer, that there is so much American sponsorship money that ends up um, investing in the game in Europe, in club leagues in, the, in, in Europe, American corporate investment money. So not, not just American private investors which are bu- who are buying up clubs in Europe, but American corporations that go ahead and sponsor clubs or leagues in Europe without uh, really giving uh, the, the, the uh, Mexican football or, or, or U.S. soccer a, a, a shot. Uh, and again, there is a reason for that. And the reason is essentially things we talk about on this podcast every week. But um, – Officials in Mexico and the United States have been looking for a way to kind of push back on that. And I think this is their latest proposal. It makes sense. Um, But I don't think even a North American Super League will ever rival. I could be wrong, but I don't think it will ever rival commercially necessarily those top leagues in Europe. Uh, But but we're, we're looking down the road 15, 20 years, and it's tough to really know where the game will be at that point. 
Well, yeah, the, and, and that's the thing, that, though, too, is that I think it was the Liga MX um, kind of uh, president or CEO or whatever it is, uh, was the one that said that uh, they're looking at the Champions League and seeing that as, as a huge rival. And, and so they should. I mean, in, in many ways... This makes a lot of sense, Kartik, in terms of just trying to figure out, okay, can the Mexican Federation and the U.S. Federation and, and well, actually, really, the, the Mexican League and the, the American League work together to figure out a way to build something that would be as competitive in, I mean, kind of hypothetically, as a Champions League and have people watching North American soccer more than they would be, say, European soccer. Um, so to me, it's really a shot from the bow from a TV perspective in terms of tv viewers and um it's it's riddled with issues i mean we know how poor how badly mls teams have done in the Concacaf champions league against uh, liga max clubs uh we know how much of a, an influence liga max clubs have over the, the united states in terms of tv ratings which are much much higher on average than major league soccer but for me, I mean, we've seen MLS and, and uh, Liga Max work together on the Campeones Cup just recently, just this last month. Uh, it looks very likely that um, next summer's MLS All-Star game will be an MLS All-Star team against a Liga Max uh, All-Star team, which will be very interesting to watch. And, uh, and to me, Kartik, if I'm, if I'm Major League Soccer... And this this whole deal, this whole proposed deal, is not going to happen at all. Say, say, just imagine this never uh, came up. If I'm Major League Soccer, I go into the offices of ESPN, Fox, and Univision in a pro- probably about a year from now and I say, "Hey, you mean we've got a great story to tell? We've got Atlanta United, we've got all these kind of the, the Miami coming on the scene soon. We've got Nashville. Uh, we feel really great about Major League Soccer." And then the executives from Fox, ESPN, and Univision say, okay, well, that, that, that's great, good to see, but the reality is that we've been paying too much money for these TV rights, that the U.S. national team has been a disaster, uh, that the TV rights, the TV viewing numbers for those games have been pitiful, they didn't make the World Cup. Uh, and then we look at Major League Soccer, and, and we had a quote, actually, from a couple of weeks ago when we met with ESPN FC, one of the F- ESPN FC executives, uh, ESPN Deportes executives, pardon me, uh, saying that he, he was been disappointed with Major League Soccer numbers. He'd like to see them uh, much b- bigger than they are, what, what they are now. So you've got, I'm sure, Fox and ESPN and Univision would say, yeah, Major League Soccer is great, we love promoting it, but uh, the viewing numbers are not there. Now, all of a sudden, Kartik, in, in this new kind of idea, this changes everything. MLS walking into the door, kind of lockstep, kind of uh, arms locked together with Liga MX, going into, the, into those offices saying, okay, hey, we've got a new deal for you guys to c- consider. We've, we've got this whole proposal for a combined Liga MX, uh, Major League Soccer League. And from a TV viewing perspective, this is going to blow everything out of the water. This is going to be incredible. I, I can see this being very attractive. The, the question, Kartik, I have for you, though, is you mentioned Super League. So are you imagining that this is going to be like one league or is this going to be almost like a, a separate league that only that kind of, Major, league, Major League Soccer League would be separate than Liga MX, but then there'd be a separate league that's only kind of almost like a glorified CONCACAF Champions League? I guess it could be one or the other. It's going to be one or the other. I, I had assumed it meant a, a full-on merger, but I guess they could have a Champions League type uh, type tournament uh, ongoing. Now, first off, you'd have to reconcile the calendar differences between the when Mexico and the U.S. plays. We have a CONCACAF Champions League now, uh, but 
I, I guess maybe they want a, a self-contained tournament where Soccer United marketing controls the revenue and they can market it accordingly uh, without the CONCACAF, um, without the stench of CONCACAF, whatever that is, uh, whatever they perceive that to be. Keep in mind, they tried this with Superliga mm -hmm. uh, from 2007 to 2010 or 11. And uh, I, it was a tournament I actually enjoyed uh, the first few seasons, and then it kind of uh, petered out. Uh, the, the first year, the tournament was very good. In the final, uh, infamously, David Beckham got injured in the final. Uh, it was the Galaxy versus uh, Pachuca. Um, Chris Klein scored a great overhead kick uh, to, to get that match into extra time. And then after extra time, we went to a uh, uh, Penalties where the late uh, goalkeeper for Pachuca Calero made some great saves and landed Donovan, I think, sky the penalty. Uh, there was a lot of drama around that tournament the first and second year, and then it just petered out. Um, they didn't necessarily get the television deal in English they wanted for that tournament. They did get um, Univision uh, to, 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 to broadcast the, the matches. Uh, in prime time, which gave MLS some exposure in prime time on weeknights. Uh, they did also get Howard Webb over to referee the final. I remember that at the time when he was uh, um, yeah, one of the top officials in the world. Mm -hmm. So uh, now he's, of course, the head of officials for, for MLS and pro. But that this was a decade ago before he had any connection to the U.S. So they did take it seriously, but maybe it's the timing or maybe it is going to be a full-on merger between the leagues. I, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, the the impression I get is it's going to be a full on merger, um, which then brings up you mean questions and issues about travel. You mean that I mean already a lot of uh, players complain in in Major League Soccer about uh, the, the large distances and travel that they have to make. This would be even worse. Um, but I, I, for me, it's a TV play, and it's an interesting. It, it's it's a very ballsy, very aggressive move. Uh, I like the concept of it, um, the execution of it. I'm not sure whether or not it's going to work, but uh, it, it's exciting. It, it, it definitely could, could uh, be something that could uh, shake things up for sure. Now, uh, one more Kartik, uh, Kartik, one more news item, and that is that uh, speaking of Univision and, and uh, North America against uh, the Champions League, etc., we've got some TV numbers in uh, for the Champions League and how they compare to previous years. So Univision's UEFA coverage, uh, which would be the, the Champions League and Europa League, is up 84% versus last year's coverage on Fox Deportes and ESPN Deportes. So on the Spanish-language side, it's up 84% uh, com compared to last year. That's, so it's positive for uh, Univision there. Uh, the combined UEFA number on Turner and Univision combined is up 70% versus the first two weeks last year on Fox Sports and Fox Deportes. So if you're UEFA, you're looking at these numbers going, okay, fantastic. You mean the number of people watching games, the UEFA uh, Champions League and Europa League are up substantially compared to last year. Um, the reality is, is that the, the English language side those numbers are probably flat or below from what they were last year. I'm looking into those numbers to figure out what, what those are, but I don't have those yet. But from the Spanish language side, UEFA Champions League and Europa League are, are just way, way up compared to last year. So that, that's good news uh, for those involved. Iconic TV ratings. We've got some interesting numbers that came out from this past week. Uh, the big one is Liverpool against Manchester City on NBCSN and Telemundo. Combined had uh, over 1 million viewers uh, on Sunday 
in that 11.30 to 1.30 uh, time slot, Eastern Time. It's the most watched Premier League match on NBCSN since February. So that's pre- pretty, uh, pretty amazing there. Some good numbers. Uh, and then some of the other games too, we had the Man United-Newcastle uh, match on NBC on Saturday, uh, 789,000 viewers. Uh, Southampton against Chelsea, 361,000 viewers on NBCSN. Uh, looking at some of the other numbers, um, the PSG Red Star Belgrade game, which was on, which is the early kickoff on TNT on Wednesday, last Wednesday, from one to three p.m., had 128,000 viewers, and uh, and then the the game that uh, followed that was the Spurs against Barcelona game on TNT. So, kind of, you would think that that number would be massive. You got Spurs, which have a decent following in the United States, and then Barcelona. Of course, we know uh, how, how much of an imp- impact they have, an influence. And on TNT, that number was 272,000. So to me, that, that, that's disappointing numbers uh, on the English language side. Um, some of the other numbers too, DC United against Chicago and ESPN on Sunday, 175,000 viewers. And then Fulham against Arsenal in the early kickoff on Sunday, 7 a.m. kickoff, uh, 170,000 viewers. Any, uh, any thoughts on those, Kartik? Yeah, actually, I'm surprised the PSG Red Star Belgrade number was as high as it was. Uh, it, it seems like TNT has a built-in audience a number for Champions League, and it's not really expanded too much beyond that, uh, uh, irrespective of who's playing, given how low the Spurs-Barcelona number was. PSG Red Star Belgrade, I assume the number would be similar to what we see on the, for the Bundesliga matches on Fox that don't include Bayern Munich. But, uh, in fact, it was significantly higher uh, from one to three on a Wednesday. So that's actually not bad, uh, strangely enough. All right. So let's jump into Lister Mailbag. We've got a bunch of letters uh, about uh, Turner's uh, coverage and Bleacher Report Live. First up is this one's from an an anonymous uh, TV producer. And uh, so the the name is not mentioned, but uh, he says, good podcast. The commercial running on Turner uh, that that happened where it basically happened right in the 43rd minute of that Man United Valencia game because it kicked off late. He says the commercial running on Turner was caused entirely by, by automation. There would be no one there to stop it. That's what happens when you take the human aspect out of live broadcasting. Uh, Sinan says, great podcast on this. I'm glad you guys are forcing an issue. Kartik made a great point on here about Liverpool fans. We will go to extreme lengths, lengths to watch our games. I was livid when the stream went out. I knew there would be problems when the app is rated 2.5 out of 5 stars. JP says, One point you guys neglected to mention about TNT's coverage was the absurd amount of time they devote to making it known that Steve Nash is a Spurs fan. At at least half of the discussion about the Barcelona match was jokes uh, or laments by Steve or at, at his expense. I just made it home in time for the start of the post-match and wanted to see highlights of the matches fail. The extra at 7 p.m. on BN Sports delivered once again, however. As for Univision Deportes, I had no issues this week uh, watching Napoli against Liverpool in terms of buffering that I saw in the first week with Inter against Spurs. I also downloaded the app since the game was very much in doubt and time to go home a bit after half-time. No issues watching the rest of the match on the commute home on the train and bus. But yeah, the Steve Nash Spurs thing, uh, hopefully that'll stop. Because it, it's been going on since, I think, probably UEFA Super Cup. Anytime he's on, I mean, Spurs is brought up and there's kind of just some banter. 
Uh, I think we all know that Steve Nash is a Spurs fan, so we don't need to be reminded of that over and over again. John Inati says, uh, the in-studio analysis is incredibly poor. We're not learning anything about what what has taken place. And the lack of urgency to show us highlights from the other matches is just as disappointing. They can also drop the whole Steve Nash is a Spurs fan. That's cool, but I don't need reminding every 15 seconds. Edgar Davids actually played for them. And the fact is not being jammed down our throat. Overall, a little too bro-y for me. Kate Abdo is a professional, and I hope that better days are ahead for what is currently amateur hour coverage. Jeffrey Allen says, uh, Ian Joy is the bright spot of Fox's Bundesliga coverage, whether he's co-commentating or a studio co-host. His passion and knowledge is there for everyone to take in. I knew about the Hamburg derby a month prior because Ian posted it on his Twitter account. Uh, Nick C says, I just discovered a podcast and I have a bunch of questions about soccer coverage that until now I had nowhere to direct. I know it's not possible for you guys to get to all of them, but here goes. Uh, question number one, why does Turner put the NBA and Champions League on TNT and, base- and baseball on TBS? Wouldn't it make more sense to dedicate one of the two as their sports channel? Uh, Nick, I I knew where you were going when when Chris began reading that question. I don't know. This has bothered me for years. Uh, Also, by the way, college football, which has had several stints on Turner Networks, has always been on TBS, including the bowl games that they would show in the past, uh, uh, the the, um, old uh, uh, CarQuest Bowl and others. And uh, when they had rights to the uh, to the Pac-12 or the Pac-10 at the time and the Big uh, Big 12, they would show those games on on uh, TBS while NBA would be on simultaneously on TNT. They've got obviously baseball, as you mentioned, on TBS. I have no idea when they've had golf coverage. They're going to lose the PGA Championship. It was just announced today. The early rounds of that are going to go to ESPN beginning in 2020. Uh, CBS will keep uh, the, the third and fourth round. But uh They've always had that on TNT uh, as well, although actually, now that I recall, they originally had that on TBS and shifted it to TNT. I have no idea why they do this. I think it also creates some confusion. Even here on this show, we weren't sure until they formally announced it whether soccer was going to be on TNT, TBS, True TV, all three. Um, None of the above, it was just going to be on Bleacher Report Live. Uh, so it's very confusing what Turner does. I, I don't know. The only answer I have for you is maybe they have uh, certain programming um, rights for circuit, certain Turner channels that are involved in their negotiations for rights that will be on X channel and won't get preempted by the NBA or the NBA won't get preempted by baseball. That's the only guess I have, although it still makes no sense to me. Question number two is, what is the logic behind Turner buying the rights to the Europa League and showing reruns of Bones instead of matches? I know that the Europa League isn't the most high-profile competition, but I find it hard to believe that more people are interested in seeing a 10-year-old Bones episode than a Europa League match. And um, in this one, we've looked at Europa League uh, viewing numbers in the past when, when they were on Fox. And uh, on FS1 or FS2, and it's usually it's less than 100,000 viewers. So usually it's anywhere from uh, 10,000 viewers to about 80,000 viewers. Uh, and maybe for a really high profile game, maybe it's over, a little bit over 100,000 viewers. But for the most part, most people aren't tuning in. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Europa League. I watch it whenever I can. Uh, I know there are others out there, but for the large majority of fans... 
people, uh, if your club is in the Europa League, you'll watch Europa League. If your club isn't in the Europa League, for the most part, most people just ignore it completely. So, so the reality is, is that probably that Bones episode from 10 years ago is generating more viewers than the Europa League game, which is why they're moving it, those games, all of them except for the final, to streaming. Last question from Nick C. ESPN Plus is absolutely fantastic. The quality is great. I haven't uh, experienced any glitches yet on any device. The UI could definitely use some improvement, but overall, a great product, especially for the price. Is there a possibility that ESPN introduces a studio show for pre-post halftime of Serie A matches? And does ESPN release viewing data for games on ESPN Plus? So the ESPN Plus question about the viewing data, no, they don't. So we don't know how many viewers are tuning in to watch those games. We do know that they have over a million subscribers. And is there a possibility that ESPN introduces a studio show for Serie A matches? I don't think so. I think it's it's all focused on just the games themselves. And um, part of it is probably just uh, kind of being very efficient uh, in terms of cost cutting, just keeping costs down low and maximizing the amount of um, revenue that they can generate from 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 games and subscriptions uh, to ESPN Plus. The studio uh, work of ESPN now has been kind of all consolidated in ESPN FC. So you'll notice even with uh, these uh, Nations League matches uh, this week in, during the international break, they bring in the ESPN FC crew live to do uh, a 10-minute segment and then maybe a 10-minute post-game bumper thing until the programming time is up. So what they've done is they've kind of shelved any pretense of any other studio show and everything's folded into ESPN FC. So if they ever do anything around their matches, it'll be through ESPN FC rather than a dedicated Serie A uh, like Premier League Live for, uh, for NBC. There'll be nothing branded as such on ESPN. Next up is Shell Walker. Uh, Shell says, the, the way that Fox and now TNT Bleacher Report broadcast sports reminds me of the late 1990s, early 2000s ESPN2. During that time, ESPN2 would introduce the, the audience to a niche sport such as X Games or Running of the Bulls or Combat Sports and would convince you to watch by first explaining the rules over and over again so that you would understand. And with loud, bright colors and guitar riffs to keep your attention, Fox Sports World copied that style of coverage. But unlike ESPN and its networks, uh, they never adjusted. With the emergence of ESPN's Stuart Scott, he bridged the gap between sports reporting and water cooler barbershop sports talk. He, provi- uh, he proved that the audience could digest both tactics and stats about a particular sport. It evolved Sports Center from just being a highlights show into a show, a show that provides you with entertainment, tactical analysis, and opinions. Every sports-specific show on ESPN has followed suit, including ESPN FC. Fox and now Bleacher Report TNT are still trying to convince me to watch soccer. I'm already a fan. Give me tactical analysis, stats, and opinions from credible individuals. So hot take there, Kartik, from Shell. I, I agree. Uh, I, I, I completely one. agree. Yeah. Uh, uh, in fact, I mean, that, I, I almost uh, chuckled when he mentioned the uh, late 90s, early 2000s ESPN2, uh, because that was true. It was kind of annoying what they did, but what they were able to eventually do is transition those things into more of a mainstream audience and then create uh, shows which had more analysis. I'll even say this uh, among the sports that I have watched uh, historically, uh, college basketball and college football. I saw the transition from ESPN studio shows of being highlights driven to being analysis driven. 
um, during that period. So, and we've seen that with the soccer coverage, as he mentions, ESPN FC is very much about um, analysis, tactics, and opinions. And so what we saw with college football is it went from being highlights driven to being kind of more theater and then eventually analysis and uh, hot takes, opinions. Uh, VR Live TNT, that's a great uh, analogy, the old ESPN2, because the graphics are even the same. I mean, I remember when ESPN2... Um, really became uh began be, become being picked up by cable systems originally espn was having trouble getting people to pick them up like every startup network uh, i would say 96 97 98 that time period my friends and i would joke about the, the clothing people would wear on on set um uh, the graphics look like scribble it looked like uh just this this this, this children's gibberish it's the same critiques we were making about the, the TNT and Bleacher Report Live soccer studio today with the, with the graphics, the writing of the graphics, the clothing they're wearing. Um, great job, Shell. I, I hadn't thought about that correlation, but it's, it's so similar. The challenge is, is though, is that uh, TNT is an entertainment channel. So it's going yeah. from, you mean, people are watching it, watching a movie, watching Bones uh, reruns or whatever they're watching on TNT. And then all of a sudden it goes to a sports program. So, so I can see that from TNT's perspective, they probably wanted to make the studio maybe not so much a kind of a um, stereotypical uh, sports studio set and make it a little bit edgy, a little bit, uh, a little bit different, even the clothing, different style. So I, th- I think that's part of it too. And, and, and that's probably the struggle for us as soccer fans, hardcore soccer fans, is we're tuning into this, expecting a sports broadcast, and what we're getting is an entertainment slash sports show. And, and that's probably why, to a little, bit, to a little extent, is that um, the TNT style is really is not so much your typical showing the, the pre-match interview with uh, Jose Mourinho or post-match, and it's a little bit more, I mean, really trying to win over that audience. We, we're, we're already won over. I mean, we're going to watch those games, but there's going to be viewers that have never really watched a soccer game, and they're watching a movie, and now, now they're watching uh, PSG against Red Star Bel- Belgrade. So they probably need a little bit more background. So it, in some ways, it's not a good fit. It's not a good fit for UEFA. Um, now, Univision and Univision Deportes, and to me, that's a slam dunk. And actually, and actually we'll get to that in a minute with, with another question from one of the listeners. Uh, Edwin says... Um, which is this one, actually, this question right here. Edwin says, seems that TNT being in more homes than FS1, which broadcast most of the Champions League games before, hasn't led to, to an increase in English viewing, viewing numbers. Christopher, uh, I know you and Kartik talked about the deal being up for negotiations in, in about a year and a half. Uh, where would you like to see, to see the rights go? Do you think ESPN would make a play next go-around, seeing as though they seem intent on conquering the soccer market? Uh, it would be a coup for them get putting games on ESPN and ESPN2 and some games on ESPN+. And, and that's the thing is where, where we're at with this is that um, for Univision, it's a slam dunk. UEFA Champions League has been a, a huge success so far. And it's just from the opening couple of weeks of, of the, the group stages. Those numbers will increase as time goes on. And, and I can't even imagine what the, the final will be, especially if it's um, I mean, involving a, a La Liga club as one example. The English language side is, is going to be a tough sell. Uh, if, if eventually these rights do go on to somebody else... Uh, Kartik, uh, do you think ESPN would be up, up for it? 
I'm not sure. I mean, I guess because it's midweek programming. I mean, you still worry about what ESPN would have to figure out a way to carve out uh, a programming for the uh, timing for the final. I guess midweek uh, programming. Yeah, although they, I, I, if you look at the ratings, they still get the kind of numbers for their studio shows, uh, uh, their their kind of in-house produced studio shows and, and shout shows shows on that hot take shows uh, that the Champions League is getting in English a higher number so I'm not sure they want to preempt those shows on a regular basis we even saw that problem with Fox right mm-hmm. um, plus the rights went for a ridiculous amount of money this time my hope actually would be that Turner keeps the rights and just gets it right because I still think um, and, and, and we've talked about now with some of these questions that the number of homes he is in the kind of mainstream channel it is if they did it right, it would be better for soccer than it just being another property on an ESPN network or being uh, uh, on Fox. Uh, that having been said, um, Turner has to do better. They have to do significantly better. It's early days still, which is what I, I keep telling people, even when I, I, I gave uh, them an F in, in promotion on, on the, uh, the, the conversation you and I had on the WorldSoccerTalk.com website this week uh, regarding promotion. But I... Uh, I think that they, uh, they're they still probably the best carrier for this product, honestly. Uh, if they do it right, it's showing it on Turner Network. Right. Yeah, and for me, I'm still on the fence. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I want to give uh, Turner uh, the opportunity to impress and succeed. And uh, Edwin's question about where would I like to see the, the, the rights go – it's difficult. I mean, I mean, a few years from now, things could change completely. There could be a new player on the market. Um, you mean the whole streaming versus uh, TV side of things could change dramatically. Keep so, an eye on DAZN. That's all I'm going to say yeah, about that. Yeah. Uh, that that's, and, and if people are complaining about BR Live, I, I don't know how they're going to take it if, if DAZN takes everything uh, onto streaming. But Yeah, and, and then also that, anyway, Netflix, Amazon Prime, yeah. I mean, Facebook. You mean, it could go a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, speaking of which, Kartik, you mentioned uh, the article that you wrote this week on worldsoccertalk.com, which is on the homepage, which talks about um, which networks are doing the best job at promoting the soccer coverage that they have. Uh, I encourage or urge uh, the listeners to go check that out because it, it's pretty detailed. Uh, it goes through from everything from Turner Sports to BN Sports, Fox, uh, ESPN, etc., Univision, how well they do... Uh, a job at promoting the, own, the, the the rights that they have. So, for example, we've talked about Fox Sports incessantly. Well, I have about how poor of a job that they do to let people know that the that they they have the games on each weekend. It's just um, it's almost like osmosis. They kind of think that everybody knows uh, they're going to be on, but uh, you have to get the word out there. A- any any uh, interesting takes on that, Kartik? Or I, I know there's a lot of feedback on on uh, social media and in the comments section about the article, but. Uh, uh, and any additional takes on that story that you want to share? Yeah, yeah. I guess I, I uh, was more tolerant of Fox than, than you were in your assessment, <laughs> and you were more tolerant of Turner than I was. I guess that was the uh, that that was the thing. I mean, I I just looked at the fact that Fox uh, FS1. I, I think a lot of your critiques of Fox were valid. I just look at the fact that FS1 uh, and FS2 as a whole are not drawing the kind of numbers, even for mainstream American sporting events, that I think were expected by uh, 21st Century Fox executives uh, in 2013 when they launched the network. So those two networks. 
that I think that they're doing about the same job as ESPN. It's not presented as well. Again, this was about promotion, not about how they present the sport. Because how they present the sport to me, ESPN is right there with NBC at the top. Uh, But I I actually feel like Fox and ESPN are in the same category as far as who they market the the sport to. I guess the one thing I'm now thinking about in my mind after uh, you came back with your, your analysis is Lifetime. So I gave Lifetime a passing grade for NWSL based on the way they promote their opening game, uh, the the beginning of the season and the way they promote the NWSL's championship, the playoffs and championship, the semifinals and finals. Um, But I realize, based on your critique, that they don't promote the league the rest of the season. And uh, I actually even got into that a little bit in my in my analysis and said, I want to see more consistency. So uh, next season, we'll be watching Lifetime more closely. We will also be seeing if maybe they move more games from Lifetime ESPN networks. Keep in mind, Disney is an investor in A&E, and we saw, uh, what was it, two or three NWSL matches moved from Lifetime this year to ESPN, uh, the ESPN family of networks, although the bulk of the matches and the most important matches remained on, on Lifetime. All right, next up on the listener mailbag, Alex G says, you guys talk a lot about the pre- and post-game commentary, but I wonder how many people actually care for the Champions League especially. Like most, I'm working during the game times. I turn the games on exactly at the start time and turn off the game exactly at the end. Thanks. And and that's a valid point because I think very much so with Fox sports especially with their Champions League coverage uh, I mean uh, towards the end I, I got so fed up with their coverage that I just turned it on at I mean 2.45 and heard the anthem going on and then watched the whole game and switched it off uh, but my job partly is to be a media critic so I, I sometimes I have to force myself to actually watch it but the reality is is that yeah there's a lot of people that just don't tune in because I mean they're working or they've got other things going on or they only have a couple of hours of spare time uh, and they'll fast forward through the, the pre-match and go right to the game. But having said that, though, too, I mean, yes, that's the Champions League. Um, but then on the weekends, we know with the, the Premier League, with NBC's job that they do with the Premier League mornings, uh, the viewing numbers for a lot of that pre-match coverage, yes, it's on a weekend, so there's, there's, it's not during office hours. But uh, the pre-match uh, numbers, viewing numbers, oftentimes are larger than a lot of the Major League Soccer games. So... I mean, when it's good analysis, I think people will tune in and will care and watch it. Um, but then on midweek, yes, it's, it's a challenge because of um, people working for sure. John Average Geek says, would a combined Turner, BR Live and CBS for La Liga give the league a much needed boost? And CBS is that one network Kartik that uh, I always forget about as if they don't exist uh, from a soccer perspective. It's been, well... Other than the NASL on the CBS uh, Sports Network, it's been, what, decades since they've had soccer? Uh, They're a non-player to me. They're completely out of the equation. Uh, They are in a lot of homes, though. So, I mean, if CBS became uh, all of a sudden interested or serious about uh, soccer, uh, the challenge, I think, for La Liga in in this example, this hypothetical, would be that... um, could CBS do a good job of actually promoting the league and, and uh, covering it? Because uh, I would I would think not, based on, on how little soccer they actually do. Robert Cadova says, uh, Dear Will Soccer Talk, I wanted to share my thoughts on Turner's Champions League coverage for the podcast. Uh, this is the last uh, question, by the way, for listeners. Uh, number one, ratings. With the NBA starting soon, we may see Champions League promos during their games. 
number two on the podcast Total Soccer Show, they had Tim Howard on as a guest, and Howard said that most of the crew watched the games in the control room most of the time and not in the studio. Number three, uh, the one thing I do like about the special guests they bring on is that they all played in the Champions League themselves, which is very different than Fox. When they had Mike, uh, Owen Hargreaves on, he could explain what goes at a big club like Man United. And I guess, yeah, too, Kartik, when you think about it, so you got uh, Edgar Davids, uh, Carlos Bocanegra would have played with Rangers, probably in the Champions League. Um, yeah. uh, Moedou with the uh, Rangers also. I'm trying to think, Owen Hargreaves, of course. Uh, Tim Howard would have been with Everton. With Man United, he did. He oh, Man United, yeah, 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 yeah. That's how Jose Mourinho became a thing, was thanks to Tim Howard, in a way. <laughs> Right, that's true. Yeah, very much so. But uh, the Porto match in tw- two thousand. Oh yeah. So don't know. That's or true. Two thousand two thousand four. Correct. Yeah, so, so definitely some uh, some good points there by Robert Cordova. All right, listeners, if you do have any questions for us, uh, you want any uh, advice or uh, you disagree or agree with anything we say or kind of have an interesting question uh, you'd, you'd like to ask us uh, to ask on air, let us know. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. So, everyone, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and worldsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. In Kartik, heading into a week of international break with you for Nations League, with the uh, African Cup of Nations qualifiers and a whole bunch of friendlies, as well as games from the CONCACAF uh, Women's World Cup qualifiers. What should they do? Enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.